Welcome to season 2 of Emotional Eating with Marilyn, where the aim is still to finally be able to say I am an ex-emotional eater. In season 2, we will be focusing mostly on actions and how to overcome our emotional eating, whereas in season 1, we were more focusing on the thinking, reflecting and the why of our behavior. If you haven't listened to season 1, then I highly recommend you do because the information is the foundation for season 2. And of course, as in season 1, I still see clients on a one-to-one basis. All information will be linked in the show notes. Hello everyone. So today let's talk about controlling our emotional eating in social gatherings. And I guess maybe the word control is a bit intense. It's more how to work with our emotional eating when we are out with friends or colleagues and, you know, in social gatherings. And I guess the reason why I'm doing this episode is because a lot of people tell me, you know, Marilyn, I cannot control my food when I'm outside. When I'm at home, it's all fine. But when I go outside with friends or at dinners with uh, colleagues, there is alcohol, there is food, there is dessert. And I cannot say no. I mean, come on. I cannot say no. It's really hard. Uh, And, you know, what should I do? Should I like stop my life altogether to work on my emotional eating? Well, of course, I'm here to tell you that you can work on your emotional eating and have a social life. And the topic today is a bit multifactorial. There are several reasons why it's hard for us to eat what we want to eat or kind of control or work on our emotional eating when we're outside uh, and when we are in social gatherings. So I'm going to first discuss the, uh, if you want, internal reasons that make us eat emotionally, although we promised ourselves we wouldn't do it. And then I'm going to discuss the external factors that make us do this. And of course, finally, I'm going to give you some tools on how to overcome this. But before going into the details of the episode, a reminder for Spotify listeners. uh, Now you can comment on my podcast and really leave uh, your feedback, what you would like to hear next, etc. And for everyone... uh, including Spotify listeners and non-Spotify listeners. If you can subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review, follow me on Instagram at Emotional Eating with Marilyn, because this really helps with the algorithm. This is an advert for better help. So if you're listening to this podcast and thinking there are things I need to unlock in order to overcome emotional eating, then better help is for you. BetterHelp, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, is an online platform that connects you to a suited therapist. You answer a few questions about yourself and the angle you want to focus on, and they will match you with a therapist. You can switch if you want to, completely free of charge, if your first match is not a good fit. And I personally know that starting therapy can be overwhelming. I was so scared and ashamed in my first few months. But then when I realized how it changed my life, I wanted everyone to benefit from this magic too. So with better help, there is less friction to start therapy. I will put the link in the show notes with all the details. Basically, it's betterhelp.com slash EEM. And by using this link, you help support my podcast and you get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. And I truly believe that therapy will help you understand the layers of your emotional eating. And as I say, it all starts with awareness, awareness and awareness. 
So for 10% off your first month, you just need to click on the link in the show notes or visit betterhelp.com slash EEM. Thank you again, BetterHelp, for supporting this channel. Okay, so first things first, what are the internal reasons why we cannot control our eating behavior when we are in social gatherings? And what I mean by internal reasons, it's things that relate to our own baggage that we bring to that social gathering. Things, for example, from our childhood and from life outside that gathering. And things that kind of make us out of control when we get there. And there are a few points here uh, that relate to the setting where you are and the people that you are interacting with that could be triggering. It could either be a work event or it could be a uh, friends uh, or, you know, friendship event. So let's first take an example of going to dinner for work. So for example, it's a dinner with a client and maybe your boss or the whole team. And maybe you want to tell me, you know what, Mar- Marilyn, why is it triggering for me to go with colleagues or a client, etc.? Well, basically, the work structure is very similar to a family structure, where you have the head of the group, for example, in your family, your, it could be your father, your mother, maybe a grandparent or an uncle. And uh, at work, of course, it's uh, the you know very similar. You can have the boss, you can have the big boss, the most senior person. And the whole family structure is also mirrored at work. So it's like with your siblings and cousins, etc. Where at work, it's your colleagues. Uh, for example, let's say you're the middle child and you grew up in a family where there was a golden child, either the oldest or the youngest one. And you might feel or see something similar at work with one employee, maybe much more junior than you, but really, really loved by the boss and gets away with things. Or maybe someone from another team that reminds you of a cousin that was a bit of a bully to you and the rest of the family, maybe humiliating you, mocking you and things like that. So what I'm trying to say is that when you go to work, your mind can get triggered because it reminds you of your family structure. And very often, without knowing it, the place or the role that you play at work is very similar to the role that was uh, put on you in your family. And what happens is that unconsciously, we might take that same role as I mentioned, and we would behave in the same way. So let's say in your family, the custom is to maybe wait for the head of the family to start eating, or for the head of the family to decide what to order, what food to eat. Uh, Or maybe uh, we don't, uh, in our family, we eat and we drink alcohol because we don't want to offend people that cooked and prepared the meal for us. Then what we would do is that we would replicate this in social settings, whether professional or personal settings. So what we do is that we bring our preconceptions to those social gatherings. So this is what I'm saying, the internal factors. So this is what I'm saying. When you go to those events, it's not just you and those people, it's you and all your preconceived uh, you know, ideas and everything that your family taught you. And here it's really imp- important and interesting to understand the unspoken rules or sometimes spoken 
rules in your family. For example, if in your family not eating uh, or not finishing your plate was seen as rude, for example, it would offend the person that cooked for you, then when you go to social gathering, even if you exploded, you're really fed up, like you, you ate a lot, you will force yourself to eat the plate, especially if you go to someone's house and they cooked for you, or if you're with your boss and things like that. Or it could be the opposite. Maybe in your family, leaving a bite uh, on your plate was seen as good. You know, we, we don't finish all our plate because otherwise it's not, uh, you know, proper enough. Then what you would do, even if you're still hungry, you will leave the food on the plate, let's say for your main course and then let's say desserts come and you're still hungry and then because everyone's eating and you're just eating so basically what you're trying to do here is to be uh, the person that your family wanted you to be and here let me talk about the concept of wearing masks we all wear masks to adapt to society it's a survival mechanism as i said to fit in a group and those masks usually are the ones that our family gave us or asked us of course indirectly uh, so, you know, to wear those masks. So it could be that you have the mask of the person that is polite, or maybe the mask of the person that makes everyone laugh, the mask of the person that puts everyone first, you know, like the people pleaser. And actually this mask, the people pleaser, is very common in people with emotional eating. So basically, let's say you go to this social gathering and unconsciously you're reminded that you have to wear this mask, this mask that you probably don't even like, uh, and it takes a lot of energy for you to wear it and we really lack, act upon it. So what happens is that some there's like frustration that increases, increases inside of you. And unconsciously what happens is that, you know, something has to give in inside because you're using a lot of energy for this mask. And your weak point, which is, or your go-to method is to do emotional eating, so you give in. And of course, this is not to say that we should judge uh, that our go-to point is uh, emotional eating. No, of course, it's just for self-awareness. Just noticing that what, when I'm not good, this is what I go to. This is my superpower, if you want, my def defense mechanism. But this superpower, this defense mechanism, for now, doesn't serve me anymore. So maybe I can find something else. Yes, let me find another go-to tool that serves me, that's not emotional eating, because after all, I need a tool. There, uh, All those social gatherings can be really daunting, can be really um, energy-sucking, especially if we have to wear masks that we don't like. We have to eat the way we're expected to eat. We should talk a specific way. We should laugh to people's jokes, X, Y, Z. So it takes a lot of energy. And when you're kind of really drained, you need a coping mechanism. So, of course, the coping mechanism uh, and the tools, I'm going to discuss them further on in the episode. But first, let me start with or continue with the external parts or the external reasons why you uh, you act that way, why you do emotional eating. And of course, 
it's all linked to internal behavior. It's all linked to our beliefs and upbringing and experiences. But what, what I mean by external is that it's factors that happen during that gathering. And here there is a common thread with many of my clients I've worked with on emotional eating is that many of them are people pleasers. Uh, they put your, their heart outside of their body. That's how we symbolize it. And they suffer from one of the five big wounds, which is uh, the humiliation one. And this is actually something I discussed in another episode. And it's actually a theory of Lise Bourbeau. It's about five wounds that one can have. I just want to spend a couple of minutes to explain what this is. So there are five wounds that you could have, explained by uh, the author Lise Bourbeau. They're written in French, so this is why I'd like to, to just summarize it with you guys. And she says that, you know, each one of us will suffer from one or several of the wounds and they will dictate our beliefs and behaviors. And the five wounds are abandonment, rejection, treason, humiliation, and injustice. And what Lise Bourbeau says is that a lot of people str that struggle from overweight actually suffer from the wound of humiliation. They were probably humiliated or felt the humiliation a lot when they were little, either on a physical or mental aspect or level, and they keep this wound with them later in life. And of course, I'd like to be very vulnerable here, and I have to say and admit that also I was one of them, you know, one of you guys maybe. Um, as I mentioned above, a people pleaser, had the wound of humiliation, etc., and I had to really, really work hard on uh, on that to get uh, to where I am now. And it's very important for me to mention this because I want to keep on reminding you that this is a judgment-free zone and that we are all in it together. So what it means is that if you have this wound, if you feel humiliated uh, very often without you knowing it, you will probably make jokes on yourself, you will probably, uh, you know, yeah, laugh at yourself, etc., feel that you're very clumsy, that you always put yourself in uh, ridicule situations, and maybe you will be a people pleaser when you don't want to offend someone, etc. And I think it's really important because it plays a lot in the social gathering. It's a big, uh, big factor because when someone says, to you so an external event some says someone to you if you come from this place from the mask of the person that's always been humiliated then the way you will behave is probably by eating by pleasing them by eating their food etc so i want to go into details and here I'd like to go also again to uh, what people I work with experience and live and tell me is that, for example, when they go to social and external events, for example, they don't want to offend someone by not eating food or not drinking their the alcohol that they order. If it's a sharing uh, kind of restaurant, they don't want to give their opinion on what they want to eat. So they don't order what they want. Or if they go to someone's place, they force themselves to eat the food, so on and so forth. What are the real underlying thoughts and emotions 
behind all of this? Well, actually, uh, the way we describe it in cognitive sciences, for example, in cognitive behavioral therapy and other disciplines, is that you have one situation that will cause some thoughts and these thoughts will generate uh, generate emotions and those uh, emotions will generate our behavior and the cycle continues uh, to go back to new thoughts, etc. Of course, you can have thoughts that influence emotion and vice versa, so it's a two-way. So let's say you're at a dinner and it's time to choose drinks. And although you have decided you're not going to drink alcohol, you decided this before going and you're sure you're not going to do this. You have one person on the table, for example, either the alpha male of the group or someone that it is indirectly the head of the group. As I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, you always have the, um, uh, you know, person that that unspoken head of the group. And let's say they say in front of everyone, uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, order this big bottle of wine wine for everyone. Okay, they decide they're going to order a big bottle of wine and they they ask uh, like everyone's okay, but it's like a rhetoric question. Uh, They're not really uh, waiting for your answer of saying yes or no. So maybe what happens in your mind uh, could be the following thoughts. For example, you say, oh, I don't want to embarrass myself and say in front of everyone that I'm not drinking tonight. So uh, you know what? You don't say anything. And maybe your thoughts are, you know, I don't want them to think whatever. I'll let you fill in what your thoughts could be. For example, you could say, I don't want them to think I'm a loser because I'm not drinking alcohol. Or maybe you could say, oh, I don't want them to think I'm stingy and I don't want to pay for the wine. You know, so many things that we bring from our childhood and past and, you know, experiences. Or it could just be, you know what, today I don't want this attention on me. I don't want people mocking me and saying, oh, why are you not eating? Why are you not drinking? So what happens is that you agree on ordering the wine and you start drinking it. So here you can see that this situation generated some emotions that generated some thoughts again and again. And maybe the thoughts actually, they generated the emotions. So it's like, uh, I feel embarrassed. Uh, not to drink alcohol so because they're going to think I'm so weird so I'm going to drink and then you drink and then you feel guilty because you drank and it's it's a whole like shebang if you want and again a small disclaimer uh, I know I do a lot of disclaimers and caveats in my podcast but I really know that these topics can be very sensitive and triggering because I've been there and sometimes I'm still there. So what I'm trying to say is not that you shouldn't or you should drink the wine, you, you know, you do you. And the most beautiful thing in life is that you do you. What I'm helping you to do here is to be the real you, is to remove your mask and do what you want to do and not what you feel someone expects you to do. And let me give you another example so that you could really see how this can be so unconscious. A very common example, let's say you're going to meet a friend for coffee on a one-to-one basis. And he or she says, oh, you know what, uh, I really want to try this new place. Let's go there. And you know this place, it doesn't really entice, like you don't really want to go. There's no options for you. You don't really like it. But you don't want to say no. You don't want to offend her. 
And it could be so many reasons why you don't want to say no. Maybe you don't want to sound difficult. Maybe you don't want to be obs uh, sound like you're obsessed by food and well and weight or health or whatever is the reason. M many reasons. Maybe you don't want to s sound uh, stingy. You know, everyone has their own reasons. But all those th thoughts, unconscious thoughts of, you know, I shouldn't say, uh, shouldn't give my opinion. I should say yes. You know, they invade your brain and then you say, yeah, okay, let's go. And then you go to this place and you're not even happy. You eat something that you don't want to eat. You do emotional eating and all of it is not working for you. And usually all those thoughts that we say, you know, uh, I should be doing this because of that. I should act because of this. You know, all those unconscious thoughts, they're called limiting beliefs. Limiting because they don't serve us. They limit our life. And beliefs is what we believe. They usually come from what we learned in childhood, in uh, life, etc. And they're very unconscious. It's really hard to identify them. But when you identify them, you become empowered and you start changing. You start tackling your life. You start, you know, the self-development journey. And as a side note, uh, I want to mention that in my one-to-one -one coaching work with clients, we really discuss about the limiting beliefs and really understanding where they came from and how to change them. For the purpose of this podcast, I want to give you tools. They're, of course, they're more generalized, but nonetheless, I think they're useful. So first, as always, is the self-awareness. So really understand what internal baggage you bring during those dinners, what you learn from your family, your life. And during the event itself, bring your self-awareness to the external events, to what people say, what are the behaviors of others that could generate emotions and feelings and behaviors within you. And importantly, of course, we are emotional beings, but I believe we are also biological beings and that our biology will determine our emotions and our behavior. And what I mean by that is that if you come to this event, let's say, really tired, you haven't slept, let's say you're very hungry, maybe you had a difficult day at work, maybe you had a fight with your wife, your husband, or the kids, you know, they made you crazy. So you come and you're bringing a physiological state with you that that's, you know, not your best self. And it's, uh, you know, your energy level already is decreased. So it's going to be harder to work under your emotional eating. So really bring some self-compassion there. And you can say, you know, it's okay. My journey of emotionally eating, it's, it's a journey. It's not a, I'm not going to get there from uh, in two seconds, you know, knowing that there are some circumstances where things will be easier and there will be other circumstances where it will be more challenging but it's okay if it's challenging and you're not perfect because this is where you're going to learn from them yes self-compassion what does self-compassion mean uh, I, it took me some time maybe 35 years to really understand what it meant which is basically really loving understanding accepting being uh, gentle to yourself the way you would be to a child or to a friend um you know, if someone is trying hard, but they're not getting there, you're not going to tell them off and say you're, you're rubbish. 
you're going to say, okay, you tried hard and let me give you this other tool that could help. But otherwise, what I see is really great and I'm impressed by X, Y, Z. So really, this is what I mean by self-compassion. And there are things like also that you have to you know, love and accept in yourself. For example, I'm a hypersensitive person and I've had an, an episode on that. Um, and hypersensitive uh, persons, it's a temperament. And basically, it means that your brain absorbs more external stimulus, like the light, the sound, etc. So for me and for people that are hypersensitive in gatherings, it's specifically exhausting for them because you there's so many stimulus, like there's the people talking, so so much sound, so so many uh, you know smells and odors. The light is maybe not the one that you would like. It's too much for the brain. It's really tiring. So really, to have the energy to focus on the emotional eating is an extra thing so for me and for my clients that are hypersensitive I really uh, bring more self-awareness and more planning when I know I'm going to be in situations that are you know that challenging for my brain other things in terms of understanding and loving and having compassion for yourself is to understand, let's say maybe I'm an introvert, uh, which means I get energy when I'm a, uh, alone. It doesn't mean I don't like people, but when I'm with a lot of people, it drains my energy. So it's more difficult for me in social gathering. Or maybe you could be with people that don't make you feel comfortable, that drain your energy. Sometimes, you know, if it's a work or even a social like friend gathering, sometimes there are people that you are, you are kind of forced to be with and those people, they drain your energy. Uh, family gatherings, work gathering, etc. So just really understanding what, you know, uh, bringing some awareness to yourself. And uh, again, as I mentioned, the word self-compassion and saying to yourself, you know, it's not about being perfect. It's not about every time, every social gathering, I'm going to have a rating of 100% on my emotional eating behavior. No, again, it's a journey. It's a self-development journey. I know self-development is like a cliche buzzwords nowadays, but I really mean that it's like you are working on yourself. And every time that you start seeing this behavior that you don't like, you can learn from it. And this is actually how you're going to learn from it. Don't let it define you. If we go back to the growth and fixed mindset, it's a book by uh, and a theory by Carl Drake, which which says that we, if we follow the, we are, we all have a growth mindset. We all have the capacity to grow and learn. It's not that we have capabilities and skills that are determined at birth. So it's not if I'm an emotional eater today and I failed, quote unquote, it's not even failing. But, you know, I didn't uh, like my behavior today that it's always going to be like this. No, on the contrary, you look at it from a growth mindset, say, mm, it's interesting. What triggered me today? What was so intense that I couldn't control myself? You list the things afterwards and then you will really understand what are the situations that don't work for you. So what are the other calls of action apart from self-awareness? I would say, as mentioned, prepare beforehand. So if you know you're going to have a triggering dinner, maybe you could do some journaling beforehand. Maybe you could sleep. Uh, you have a good night of sleep the night before. Uh, maybe don't arrive really starving. And you could also organize things just before, just after that bring joy to you to fill your energy. 
so so then when you're there and your energy is drained you have something to fill your energy and your happiness and well-being level because basically as i mentioned in many of my episodes and i think it's a simple rule that makes so much sense is that when our level of well-being or happiness drops this is when we are going to go and do emotional eating so just being aware of okay i'm going to go to a situation that i'm not going to be comfortable so i'm preparing beforehand So in conclusion, social gatherings, of course, they can be very triggering, whether it's because of things that we bring from our past or things that people say during the meetings, but also things linked to our biology. You know, it's all of this that make the situation triggering or uh, harder for us to control our emotional eating. But with self-awareness, understanding our limiting beliefs, having the courage to sometimes say no, sometimes say I want to order something else, sometimes say I'm not going to drink alcohol today, you're really, you know, finding a solution where having a social life and working on your emotional eating, those two can coexist. I hope this episode was useful. I would love it if you can leave a comment, a review, or subscribe to my podcast. And also you can contact me on my website or on my Instagram at Emotional Eating with Marilyn for any interaction and feedback.